everybody. It's uh, Dorothy Polarski, and I'd like to welcome all of you to um, Midday Moms, our virtual meetup. I'd uh, also like to introduce you to our speaker today. Uh, Nora, do you want to say a quick hello to everybody? Absolutely. Greetings all. Welcome in the name of Jesus. Uh, excited to be here with you. Yeah, so I, I, as you're joining our, um, our group today, I, I would like you to say hello in the chat box. So, you know, some of you that have been here for a couple of times, just on the right hand side, give us a hello. Uh, tell us where you're from. Um, I always like to hear from, uh, you know, like what parish you're from, what city you're from. So please do say hello. Um, as we're, oh, Liz Garcia from Mississauga, welcome. Yes. Thank you for coming. I think you've met uh, Nora here at my home, uh, Liz. So great to see you here. Anna Chapetta from Schomburg, great that you're here. Judy Becca from Toronto. Um, oh my goodness, uh, Gia D'Souza, hello. I'm new to this group from Mississauga at St. Dominic's. Welcome, Gia, thank you so much for coming. Um, I'm gonna ask Nora actually to sing a song as we're waiting for some other moms to sign on. Um, so I'm really, really happy that you're signing on and Nora's going to sing for us as we're waiting for um, other mothers to join us. Hi, Judy. Hi, Anna. Hi, Liz. Hi, Gia. So come on, the rest and of you. And if you know the song, join in, please. <laughs> as I kneel before you, as I bow my in prayer, take this day, make it yours, and fill me with your love. Ave Maria, gratia pena, dominus all I have, I give you Every dream and wish are yours Mother of Christ, Mother of mine Present unto my Lord Hello, 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 and a big warm hug and thank you to Nora, uh, who's uh, speaking today. And uh, for those of you that you're here for the first time, welcome. And for those of you that this isn't your first time, welcome too. We're really delighted that you've uh, joined us. Someone says here, hello, I'm Nora's niece, Katie from Walkerton. Yay! I saw her at Mass this morning. <laughs> yeah, isn't that beautiful? Thank so thank you very much for uh, joining us. So for those of you that um, don't know about us, we run a ministry called Catholic Moms Group Dot com. So it's three words, catholicmomsgroup.com. And um, we're on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And we do so by helping parishes start mothers groups. Um, we've developed a variety of different tools. We've de developed a publication. It's a beautiful one. It's called How to Start a Mothers Group. We also have a 52-week study guide. 
We have a mother's group starter kit. And uh, in that starter kit, you have everything that you need to start a Catholic mom's group. And uh, we invite you to follow us on Instagram, Catholic Moms Group. We invite you to like our page on Facebook. And so why are we here? Why are we here on this glorious day? It's so beautiful outside. And why have we come together? Well, we've come together virtually because the pandemic stopped us from meeting face to face. We host mothers groups and we didn't want mothers to feel alone. And we want you to know that you're not alone. We want you to know that you're loved. And we want you to know that you can continue growing in your Catholic faith during this time. And uh, we want to share a cup of tea with you, you know. We have a wonderful speaker today. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Nora McKernan. I've known Nora, gosh, probably for 30 years. Um, she sang at my wedding. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was there when both of my kids were born. And, uh, you know, those of you that know me know that I worked really hard in the corporate sector and I. Nora was kind of my first friend that I could feel the spirit in her and that she was just treating her faith so seriously. And she handed me an encyclical called Humane Vitae. And I've invited her today to give a reflection on Humane Vitae. Before you do, Nora, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background? Sure, I'd um, love to. Uh, so I, I was born um, in Capso, Ontario. It's a little village uh, near Walkerton. And um, I was the middle child of seven children, uh, four girls and three boys. Um, I, um, I was my parents' love child. I was the only one that was planned. <laughs> but they were open to life <laughs> and uh, they had a bunch more. And um, in my teen years, I went through a difficult period where I was struggling and searching. I was raised Catholic, uh, so I had lots of knowledge about Christ and the church and the faith, um, but I, I hadn't really met Jesus yet and um, in a personal way. It wasn't something you talked about in the Catholic church in those days. Uh, but I, I managed to, through my searching, um, have a personal encounter with Christ which set me off on a journey that I've, I'm still on and um, changed my life in huge ways and gave me actually the faith um, and the joy and the hope to get married. Uh, I met my husband at University of Waterloo. I, I got a degree in uh, English there and we got married shortly afterwards and uh, over the course of 14 years had eight children um, and then tried to raise them in the faith as well. And uh, we had lots of struggles and lots of difficult financial times and lots of joys. And we raised these eight beautiful children who now have given uh, us seven grandchildren and two step-grandchildren. Now, Nora, you also worked, I know, for a number of years. Can you tell us a little bit about, <clears throat> like, I, I can't believe you're, a, you know, a mother plus you worked for how many years and what did you do? <laughs> well, when you get to my age, Dorothy, you should have done a few things, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I had my kids early. Like by the time I was 40, I, my, oh, my youngest was in, I think, grade two. And um, so I, I started to look for work and a job was just sent from heaven for me. It was um, community relations in a low income housing project where I was like able to work with and help um, hundreds of uh, low income people and had an office right there in the apartment building where they were living and did lots of uh, social programs and spiritual programs for them and connected with them with the church and the, and the services that the government offers. And um, yeah, so I worked there for, for 20 years when I just retired last year. So um, I also did like youth ministry in a couple of different parishes and uh, help with sacramental preparation and, you know, we moved around a little bit and I, I was always involved in whatever parishes we, we came across in our travels. So it was a great grace to be 
involved with the church and the schools that our children went to were real blessings of meeting, you know, other pe people and growing. Yeah, so Nora, you're, you're here to give a reflection on Humane Vitae. So maybe you could tell us exactly what it is and share your reflection. Okay, so um, Humane Vitae is one of the encyclicals uh, that was put out in the 60s by Pope John Paul VI. An encyclical just means a circular letter. It circulates. It's a letter, basically, that the Pope sends to his beloved people and sometimes actually to the whole world. Um, and this one in particular was a letter to the world as well as to the, the faithful people. Um, the encyclicals, there are many of them. They, they never contradict scripture. They're always scripturally based. Um, and the popes have written on many topics such as social justice, the family, Mary, love. Um, Pope Francis recently wrote on our planet, um, the, our common home. And they're all powerhouses of Catholic intellectual thought. They've been thought out and, and re, um, rethought over centuries. So they're just full of richness. And um, this one, um, um, anyway, following the encyclicals is one of the ways that we become happy because uh, they, they give us guidelines to a good way to live and to love and truth. Um, and I just want to say up front, um, the encyclical on humane vitae, it means on human life, and it's about procreation, about um, natural and unnatural methods of contraception. It was it was written in the 60s when the sexual revolution was happening and the world was kind of going, we want to be able to have sex without babies, right? We want free sex and free, quote, love. Um, and so the, the Pope had to respond to this. Um, but I do want to say out from the outset that it's a, the, the church calls us to a high calling and we don't always live, even as much as we try, we might not be able to live it perfectly. And I, I didn't, even though I did have eight children, I don't feel that I lived it perfectly, but you know, the Lord works with us in our, in our sin and in our failings. And, you know, we don't have to be down on ourselves if we didn't do everything perfectly. So, um, so um, the little historical background I have here is that um, in 1930, so from the beginning of Christendom till the 1930s, the whole of Christendom believed that children were a, a blessing and that contraception was an, an evil, intrinsically evil. And that was the teaching that was out there right until the 1930s. And in 1930, the Anglican Church had a conference called the Lambeth Conference, and they began to allow in their teachings some form of contraception. And so then for another, another 30 years went by, the Catholic Church, actually, actually at that time, the Catholic Church responded with a document called Pasti Canubi, which means chaste wedlock, and they, it reaffirmed the church's position that contraception was not a good for people. And um, then in the 1960s, when the pill got invented, the, there was pressure on the church to change their teaching. And um, the John Paul, the, the John, sorry, Pope John XXIII set up a commission to study the matter. So they studied the matter for three years, and by that time, Pope Paul VI was in, and the commission came out with a recommendation that the church should allow some forms of contraception. Um, but some on the commission did not agree. So Pope Paul VI, after two years of his own personal study and deliberation and prayer, uh, came out with Humanae Vitae, which, which reiterated yet again contraception was not a good for the world or the church or the family and um, he it goes into a little bit of detail it's not a long document you can read it yourself pretty pretty quickly um, but it it just reaffirmed that you know we we can use natural family planning natural methods um, but artificial methods of or sterilizations are not um, allowed by the church. Okay, Nora, so I just wanted to um, stress to everybody before Nora continues, is that the document is readily available on, um, you, can, you can Google it, Humane Vitae, and it is 
a quick read, you know, and I'm going to dare you to read it uh, because, you know, many, for many years, I had never read any papal encyclicals, any letters, and uh, Nora just like handed it to me and I thought, okay, I love this woman, so I've got to read it. So I'm encouraging each and every one of you, I'm daring you to read it and uh, evaluate it yourselves. I know that when I read it, it affected me very, very deeply, and it, it's short. It's very short. I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. No, no worries. No worries. Um, let me see. Where was I here? Um, so the document actually um, came to be considered prophetic because in it, near the end of it, um, Pope Paul VI made um, poor predictions of what would happen if this mentality of contraception was accepted by the, the world. And um, uh, they, they all came true. Uh, so the first one was that acceptance of contraceptive mentality would, um, would open the way for marital infidelity. And the second one was there would be a general lowering of moral standards. Um, and then the third was that there would be a loss of respect due to the woman and for the power to regulate birth would go into the hands of, um, of the public authorities. And we, we did have that with China having their one child policy. Um, and then in terms of general lowering of moral standards, I could give you stats on the use of pornography, et cetera, et cetera, but I don't think I need to do that. And we all are, I think we're all aware of how bad that is right now. Probably a lot of us in a personal way. Um, so anyway, the crux of the document uh, and how it dealt with the world's complaints was that it, it taught that the marital act has a meaning. So when a couple engages in the marital act in intercourse, they're speaking a language. And Pope John Paul II uh, elaborated on this at the beginning of his pontificate. Uh, it was one of the first things he tackled back in the 80s. Um, with um, the, his what came to be known as his theology of the body. And he, what he taught was that when, uh, when the couple has intercourse, they are speaking a language and they're speaking a language that has basically four elements to it. One is faithfulness. Like we're, it's like, I'm giving myself to you and you only, I'm gonna be faithful to you. Um, another is um, fruitfulness. So from this act, a child may come. Uh, and then I'm giving myself completely in, within my freedom. I'm giving myself freely and completely to you. And um, the other one is I'm giving myself to you forever. And these are, the, these are renewals actually of the marriage vows, which I find really beautiful that when every time a couple engages in the, mar in the marital act, they are renewing their marriage vows. And they're saying again to each other, I give myself to you. I'm, I'm open to children. I, I, will, I will love you forever. And so it's a beautiful understanding of it. Rather than the world's like trite thing, like, oh, this is just something we do because we're animals. You know? <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's, the church and the faith has this deep, beautiful meaning, right? Um, and also it said in the document, none of the meanings can be separated. So you can't kind of take out the faithful forever part and you can't take out the fruitful part. It's all part of it. And the third um, real main point was that the child is a good, like a child is a good to the couple. It will unite the, the couple. It will bring joy to the couple. So the child is not to be seen as um, something that we manipulate or something that we, um, we want for ourselves so that we're happy. It's more like we're open to this goodness that God wants to give us. And then we commit ourselves to the raising and rearing and educating of the child. Um, so um, just a quote from the document, uh, the church in urging men and women to the observance of the precepts of the natural law, like it all cooperates with nature, uh, teaches that every marital act must of necessity retain its intrinsic relationship to the procreation of human life. And so in simple words, God created this strange act uh, with his reasons. And this is a strange and wonderful act. <laughs> strange. <laughs> you have to laugh about it, right? This <laughs> magnificent. Why did, he, why did he make it like this, right? <laughs> Only God could think of that, right? 
Um, so the possibility of creating new life from this act is part and parcel of the act. And to dissect that and to take it, to render the act fruitless is to miss the mark of God's intentions. It excludes him from the act and says no to a gift he wishes to give. Um, now, you know, again, like this is lived out with a faith, right? If we have a faith in Christ, we have a trust in him and we believe that he will help us. He will help us to look after this child. He will help us to provide for this child. He will, he will guide us. He doesn't just leave us alone. Yes. Um, if, if that's, um, I, I could just comment on that. One thing that I find like it just fills my heart with like sorrow and fear is that moms today, they just feel like they have to do everything. You know, they have to be the breadwinner. They have to be the sex kitten. They have to be the domestic diva. They have to be the fit, you know, and it's all as if everything that they do is coming from an act of will. And that if I don't provide for myself, if I don't, you know, make things happen, if I don't get the education, then there's no way that I can create the type of life I would like to create for my children. And it's, it, it's almost as if we've stopped relying on God. Would you say that there's some truth in that, Nora? Absolutely, absolutely. And the interesting thing is that, you know, when moms get caught up in that and they try to create this life for their children, they, they can easily end up neglecting their children because it's too much. Um, so it backfires, it can easily backfire. Um, so yes, and I think to follow the Humanae Vitae mandate is to have an openness and a trust that your life isn't going to, I think we all need to really just face that our life is not going to go the way we think it should, regardless of children or anything, any other, regardless of Humanae Vitae, like our lives are not going to be this prepackaged thing that we can control. You know, so when it comes to our families, when we understand that God has a better plan for us than we do, um, it'll make it a lot, like, we'll just have so much more uh, at, our, at our hands to help us. So, um, so can I just say, I know, and I'm, I do want to let you continue. So, but one thing that you said when we were chatting earlier today that really struck me um, is that, you know, many men, women, children, um, they're, they're almost like not free because they haven't had an encounter with Christ, right? And if you haven't had an encounter with Christ, if you haven't had some type of an anointing of the Holy Spirit, then all of this just feels like a bunch of, you know, rules and regulations and, and, and you're not surrendering to God's will with your full heart. Is that, is that true, Nora? I think so. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because like, how do you create an encounter with Christ? You know, it's not just something automatic that you can do. You never know how the spirit is going to blow in your life or but you, but there are things we can try and we could try one right now. If you think it's a good idea, Dorothy, we could, we could pray <laughs> a prayer with our, our listeners and help us all to open our hearts and, and ask him. What you you take the lead on this one, Nora. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just uh, settle ourselves a little bit, everyone, and um, maybe close your eyes um, in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we want to encounter you, Lord. We want it, we want this abundant life that you that you offer. We want to be open to what you have for us. We want to let go of our own plans and our own ideas mostly we want to let go of our sin but we confess to you that what we've done wrong and ask for your great forgiveness we thank you for the blood that you shed on your cross for for our sins lord jesus we thank you for for suffering for us and dying for us and for forgiving us and teaching us and we we just pray we right now open our hearts to you come lord jesus come into each of our hearts come and give us an encounter with you come and deepen the encounter that we may already have had come in the name of in, in your holy name we pray that you would reveal yourself to us lord at this moment please or 
and this day or whenever it's your will to, to reveal yourself, Lord, we pray that you would do that so that we can live this wonderful, abundant life that you promised. And dear Lord, we know that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, that you're present. And we acknowledge your presence, Jesus. We acknowledge your love. We acknowledge an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we beg for the Holy Spirit to anoint us all, to strengthen us. We beg the Holy Spirit to console us. We ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us with joy. And we invite Jesus to come into our hearts right now in a powerful and a magnificent way. And we give praise to you, Lord Jesus, for Nora, for her testimony, for her willingness to share. Come Holy Spirit, come Jesus. Thank you, Lord, your Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, um, so continuing on with the document, um, so it doesn't mean that everyone has to have nine kids. Okay. <laughs> the document says uh, that with regard to physical, economic, psychological, and social conditions, res responsible parenthood is exercised by those who uh, prudently and generously decide to have more children and by those who, for serious reasons and with due respect to moral principles, decide not to have additional children for either a certain or an indefinite period of time. So if, for example, if you were gonna die from having another child, you would have a perfectly reasonable excuse not to have more children. Um, if you're going through a difficult time in your marriage and you know, or maybe your spouse is really against the idea, um, you would have, you know, a reason. Or if you're going through a really difficult financial time and you already have numerous children. Um, so it's, it's really up to the wisdom of the couple. Um, but the, the only um, method that the church approves of is the natural, the natural method. And back in the day when my mom was having kids, they used what they, they called the rhythm method, which was, you know, really just based on numbers and uh, just based on the time of month of your period, um, where now we have a lot more scientific method of knowing when ovulation is occurring. Uh, there's, there's numerous methods that women can use. And um, for those of you who, you know, don't know about that, uh, you can look into fertility care or the Billings method. Sorry, yes. Dorothy, go ahead. You know, I, and I know that um, fertility care, um, if, if you could just Google fertility care, or if Judith, if you could find their website, or Holly, if you're there, uh, put their website in the, uh, in the chat box here. Um, they just provide an outstanding service and have attended very frequently to be at the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. So uh, please do look up uh, fertility care. And there are other um, sort of approved methods as well. I'm, I'm sorry, Nora. For... No, it's okay. Um, I was just going to say that the beautiful thing about the natural methods is that they don't, you're not putting chemicals into your body. You're not putting a, you know, metal or plastic thing, uh, you know, near your ovaries. Like you, it's, it's very good for your health. <laughs> as opposed to all the other methods, which aren't. <laughs> yeah, not like I remember I was, I had no idea. I remember being completely shocked when I found out that actually when you're using the pill that you're causing a mini abortion. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of women know that. Um, and maybe at one point, that's something that we could talk about as well. Um, Jean Wu here says, I'm so grateful to know natural family planning in 2000. I became a teacher in 2006 of the Billings Method. Um, yeah, somebody's here. Has, thank you, Judith, for posting uh, the fertility care uh, website. So the, a lot of the artificial methods, even using um, an IUD, I've read again that a a baby can get trapped in between the actual IUD and your uterus and uh, cause a, a spontaneous abortion. So, you know, some women have had abortions and they don't even know it, uh, which can cause all sorts of psychological 
um, and emotional and spiritual problems. Um, I always encourage women, you know, like if this is some information that you didn't know in the past, that it really is a good idea to go to the sacrament of reconciliation um, about some of these issues because it it frees us and it removes blocks of you know grace is being blocked from us when we have some unconfessed issues on our on our souls. I'm sorry, Nora, if you want to continue. Okay. So um, I just wanted to go through like a little bit about the the reason. Well, one for one thing, the reason why I think. Um, some some women don't want to have more children, um, and one of them is it's just too hard. <laughs> and it's, I give you, I give it to you that it is hard. <laughs> but the first two are the hardest. <laughs> first one's the hardest. Second one, you kind of know what you're doing. By the third one, you you know you kind of you're a little more comfortable, and 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 from there they they start to look after each other a little bit. Um, yeah, so, you know, don't be daunted by difficulty of the first one or the first two. Um, and always remember that suffering and struggle is like the main thing that makes us grow. Like it's a real gift to struggle and to suffer. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it at the time and you want to run away from it. But in retrospect, you start to realize that it is, it is how we grow and it also how we become less self-centered. And I've seen that with dads too, where, you know, they just really struggle with the first one or two. And then the joy, you know, kind of takes over. And even, even if the joy takes longer to come, um, they do for sure become less self-centered. <laughs> um, I think also there's a myth out there that like women, that sorry, that um, children make you poor. Um, and I can, I can only give, I mean, I could give my own example. I mean, like I said, we struggled lots with finances, but um, my children are just a wealth to me. Like I visit them all the time, all eight of them. Six have par partners now and, and married marriages, some of them. And, and they're just wonderful. They do anything for me. They bought me a new laptop this year. They're like, they bought my hearing aids. <laughs> <I> like, <laughs> Nora, like, I don't know about you, but I guess because when I had my kids, I had them really quite, like, late. And to me, each child, like, was just definitely this incredible gift. And, and you know, sometimes some of my girlfriends would be saying, oh, come on, come on, well, you don't you need time away from the kids? I was like, no, I don't need time away from them. I need more time with them. And the one thing that always makes me laugh is that in the corporate world, we're always doing crazy things to develop our potential, you know, uh, going on rock climbing or going canoeing or do, like doing these things as a corporation to develop your potential. It's like there's nothing that's going to develop your potential more than having another baby, right? And I'm going to say, I dare you to have another one. And if you decide you don't want it, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Nora, go on with the document. Yeah. So I just, I don't know, should I read the list of my mom's grandchildren, Dorothy? It's kind of long. Sure, but, sure. Um, so my mom and dad, you know, were married in the 40s and um, they had seven children and they were poor, like everyone was poor. So it was, it was kind of nice that they shared that with all their neighbors <laughs> and everyone had big families. <laughs> and, um, but at present, my mom is 90, going to be 96 this year. And she, uh, she has like in her, in our family, she has 39 grandchildren. And by next March, she'll have 70 great grandchildren. So some of the occupations, I made a list. This list is like eight years old, but I, I didn't renew it because it's got enough on it. But the occupations, and this gives an idea of how they can help my mother too, is um, so two nuclear power programmers, three nurses, two bartenders, two security guards, two agricultural specialists, two construction workers, a secretary, an event planner, a groundskeeper, two electricians, four teachers, a food supplement expert, a speech therapist, two professional musicians, a mechanic, a dance studio owner, a diplomat for Canada, a cook, a job recruiter, a tree planting supervisor, a writer and producer, a community worker, a social worker, two teacher's aides, a salesman, a daycare worker, a massage therapist, a youth minister, a seminarian, and a priest. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so your your mother really is a rich woman. 
you know, and I don't want to be bragging because I know small families are beautiful too. And uh, I, I, some people, you know, can't or don't have large families. And I'm sorry if I'm like going on and on too much about that. I just want you to have an idea of the wealth that's that's available to those who are open. And some of you maybe are open and, and can't. And the Lord will bless you in abundant ways regardless because of your openness. And you will be able to make a list like that of your friends and your, you know, those you have ministered to. And so it's not just big families, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the strain on finances, um, I love, I lived by that uh, scripture from Luke. It's also in Matthew, but it's Luke 12. And um, Luke 12 uh, talks about the lilies of the field. Jesus says, like, don't worry about what you are to wear, what you are to eat. You know, the birds in the air have, have food and shelter and and uh, the tree the lilies of the field are beautiful and solomon in all his glory would not be robed as one of these and god clothes the the, the fields and the grass so if he clothes them how much more is he going to clothe us how much more is he going to look after us and um i have to say that during the raising of my kids there were so many times when i saw the providence of god and i wouldn't have seen it if i hadn't needed it you know so a lot of the time we like we think we need to be so self-sufficient and have it all figured out and have our careers and our budgets and i'm not saying those aren't good things and practical and wise things but you know if if we we risk a little more um with having another child then you'll watch you watch god provide um, and I, I was telling my brother the other day about a time when we, we were a little low on money and, and I went, I took my kids, we were, like, there wasn't a lot of food in the house and, you know, payday hadn't come and it was like Wednesday or something. And I, we went into an indigo and there was, indigo was having like an opening party and there was a whole big table of food. <laughs> <laughs> my kids just indulge themselves in and then they were fed for a meal and I was like thank you Jesus you know so God has no Mother Teresa's expression God has lots of money <laughs> God has lots of money now so Nora so so remind me again Humane Vitae is uh, an encyclical yes which okay. means a letter which means a letter and who was it written by Pope Paul VI in the 60s. Pope Paul VI in the 60s. And what did he conclude after several years of research? Sorry. So he concluded that it was not the best thing and it was not what, what the call of Christ for the world to embrace artificial, um, artificial contraception. That the world would be better off if natural family planning was the method used for regulating uh, the size, family size. And then, he, and then he said that if the world did accept, or if we accepted, because the world is us, right? Is that for those that accepted the contraceptive mentality, he prophesied that four things would happen. Can you remind me of those four things? Just because I like to get things repeated to me. <laughs> sure, sure, give me a second. Um, it's right here. So it would open wide the way for marital infidelity. Okay. Um, there, number two was there would be a general lowering of moral standards. And number three was there would be a loss of respect due women, mm -hmm. which is, is, is really interesting that one, eh? Because now women are fighting in general, like in the, in the world, women are fighting for abortion and for contraception, um, thinking that they're women's rights. And, uh, uh, and you know what's even helping scarier? Them. What's even scarier is the hookup culture and the shortness of the skirts you see in young women. You know, and I don't know too. They're walking around on beaches with thongs. Like th th there's no respect even for themselves. It's mm -hmm. almost as if women now are treating their bodies as if it's a thing. You know, mm -hmm. um, someone here. Um, there are a couple of comments I just wanted to review in the chat box here. 
the sacrament of reconciliation is a sacrament of healing. So if there's anyone here called to go to the sacrament of reconciliation, come Holy Spirit, go. Um, someone's asking, how do we teach Humana Vitae? How do we teach this to our teens? That's one question. Then someone else says, the Pope's encyclical is absolutely beautiful versus, for example, Belinda Gates, who promotes contraception and then at the same time identifies herself as a Catholic, which is, you know, <laughs> I, I hope that somehow this videotape or this group thing could get to Mrs. Gates. Um, and then someone here is um, quoting Matthew 6, 25 through 27, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you shall wear. Um, so how could we teach some of this, these mm -hmm. things to our, our teens? Do you have any ideas? Well, I think, you know, in living it, it they see it, they see it being lived as the really the best way to teach it. Um, an example of life is always, is always better than any words, but along with that, we can, um, we need to give words because the culture, they're, they're immersed in the culture. And so, you know, they're getting all of the wrong ideas very powerfully. And everyone knows this, I think, anyway. Um, so, I mean, something like Dorothy's calling all girls is, is one way. Uh, another way would be just to sit down and uh, study, like, there's a Theology of the Body for Teens, a book that's written by, um, not Jason Everett, who's the other, oh, Christopher West. Christopher West and Jason Everett. Uh, if anyone ha knows that, they can put that up there too. Uh, they are both wonderful, uh, you know, teachers of chastity for, for teens and uh, theology of the body for adults. And uh, Jay also Jason's wife, I forget, um, I forget her name, but Jason's wife is a, is a female who really reaches out in that area. And there's many good videos and et cetera. Like you could watch a video with your, your girls or your guys or, um, yeah, so someone someone is asking here, we've got a couple of questions. Um, what is the fourth result that, um, that fourth prophecy? What was oh, that? yes, 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 yes. Um, sorry, I've now I got my, my sheet thread of order. Uh, the power to regulate birth would go into the hands of public authorities. So, you know, I mean, it's happened in China where they, they're only allowed to have one, one child, and I think now it's two, but it could happen here. Yeah. If people keep believing the myth of the population problem, you know, I mean, that is one that just drives me crazy. I drive through Ontario and see all these empty fields and all this space and all this rich land, and I'm like, there's no population problem. We could put some people here. You know? That's for sure. Um, <laughs> So I, I keep on interrupting you. Do, is there uh, is there more in your presentation that you wanted to cover that I keep on interrupting? I apologize. <laughs> well, um, I did have the litany to the child. If you want to go through that, you know what that is, Dorothy. Um, we could also go into the effects of, you know, um, the pill. Uh, yeah, let's do some of the effects of the pill. Let's do some of the effects yeah. of the pill. Yeah. So the effects of the pill that I've got, and I got this from a relative who's a doctor, um, blood clotting in the veins, blood clot in lungs, stroke, there's double the risk of stroke if you are on the pill. Um, uh, let's see. And then also pharmacists are, for life are saying that approximately five times per year, a woman on the pill aborts a fertilized egg. So- Say that again, sorry. So a woman on the pill, uh -huh. um, if she's on it all the time, five times per year, she would abort a fertilized egg. So, it, because the pill doesn't always work as an abortifacient, sometimes it just blocks the sperm um, by creating a mucus plug, um, and sometimes it um, it sloughs off the in. Well, yeah, sometimes it sloughs off the fertilized egg, and that's what happens five times a year. Uh, sometimes it prevents ovulation, right? But that messes with your system, right? So then you've got all these people who 
you know, were on the pill for years and years and now can't get pregnant because they, they've stopped their, their ovulation for so long that then they have problems when they, when they get to the point where they want to get pregnant. So, um, uh, so that, so then, and also the pill also, there's double the risk of heart attack and increased a 44% increased risk of breast cancer. Um, irregular periods can cause depression, yeast infections, fluid, fluid retention, high blood pressure, osteoporosis, migraine headaches, and gallbladder disease. So those are some of the, the effects that can happen. I know some women don't don't get those. You know, some get some fly through it. Um, so the litany, would you like the litany or? Sure, sure. Let's. Um, I'm just going to go through some of the comments here. Yeah. Um, uh, so Judith Mazona is saying the Chastity Project is a is the ministry of Jason and Kristalina Averett that promotes the virtue of chastity through seminars, resources, clubs, and social media. Um, I find sometimes, you know, too, that there's nothing really better than going for a walk with your son, you know, and daughter, like, especially when they're younger, and sort of saying, you know, they're gonna, they're, the whole world, all your friends, everything you see as you go into high school is gonna tell you to, have sex and take drugs. And, you know, as your mother, I got to tell you that I know you're going to be told these things. And as your mother, I got to tell you that you're going to be hurting yourself if you do those things. And you're going to be separating yourself from God's grace, right? And, um, and you know, and just to telling our children that they can talk to us about anything and to have those conversations early 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 because if you you know if you're starting to only have conversations with your daughter when she's 25 or you're only starting to have conversations with your son when he's 17 you know you may have missed the boat whereas if you're having and it's, you, you never miss the boat completely but um you know it's you know to be in the habit of having ongoing conversations with your children about everything and all the time, you know, like very often I'll say, do you know what your son's favorite color is today, right now? Um, you know, do you know what you, what you could make for supper for him today, right now, that would bring a smile on his face? And like one of the, one of the, I guess, tragedies of us becoming so busy is that we don't even know our kids anymore. Right, and so I kind of so see. I, I can I can add to that as well. Being um, my kids are a little older than yours, and um, uh, I did try my best to raise my kids with these kinds of um, understandings. You know, we went to youth conferences and and youth groups, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say less than half of them have embraced the um, the way that I would have liked them to live. Um, but. Um, the more the the most important thing I feel just from my vantage point right now is that we keep a relationship with our kids that we we you know we understand their free will that they they may not choose what we want for them they may use their free will in a way that we don't agree with but we have to respect them especially as they become adults we have to respect that free will and know that the Lord will use even their sin to bring them to Him so sometimes. They have to go through, they have to be the prodigal son. They have to go try it out on their own and make the a prodigal daughter, the Eve. Prodigal daughter, <laughs> you know, and, and also like just to really, I know I made the mistake of being, being sad, even being sad and they knowing I was sad about their life um, was a hindrance for some of them to be free and um, to oh, start to feel like they could make choices by themselves. So yeah, I guess I'd have to like, I think it's okay for your kids to know that you're sad, you know, um, because to me, it shows how much you love the faith, right? It's like you're standing at the foot of the cross and you're sad, right? Like, I, I guess it depends. I know with one of my daughters, just my sadness was enough to like turn her really off. And we had to have a conversation about that later on that, 
that she helped me to understand I have to respect her freedom and yeah. to rejoice in the good things that she's doing and um, you know, wait for her to come around to the bad ones. I actually just wanna, I want to say this because I know that there are a gazillion sad parents out there right now because so many youth have left the faith and so many of our Catholic kids have stopped going to church. And I just wanna encourage you moms, if that's happened to you, um, live joyfully your life and be an example to your kids and and you know maybe some of them need to see your sadness but they also need to see you living um yeah, yeah. Uh, victoriously victoriously yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna answer our prayers right yeah and you can't be sad all the time like i'm not saying you know live in perpetual sadness uh, but but the other thing too that um you know i've always had a very strong conviction is that as a Catholic mother, I have to have a clear conscience so that if I die tomorrow, I know I've done my best to pass down the Catholic faith. I've allowed no shenanigans under my nose. If you want shenanigans behind my back, that's between you and your conscience and whatever. Um, so, you know, I've taught you the Ten Commandments. While you're living in this house, yes, you are going to church. And while you're living in this house, you know, it, it, I always say if you're adult enough to be an adult, then be an adult and move out, mm. right? But while you're living in this house, there are rules and there are standards. And I want to know that if I have to meet my maker tomorrow, as a Catholic mom, I can say, I've done what I, I've, you know, I've done my best to try to serve you, Lord. Um, and... Uh, and, and so anyway, I, I know I go off on tangent, so forgive me. <laughs> uh, are there any questions that you have? Someone says here, I guess you can be sad about that action and let them know you're sad about their choices, but that you don't love them any less. Uh, the, the other day, you know, uh, I, I posted something on Facebook and I think it went on and on and on and on that I said that I don't know that I, I, I said, I just don't know if I believe in unconditional love. You know, I said, if my son were to come home and say, oh, ma, I was just out and I robbed three banks. Um, I said, you know, like, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's okay, honey, you did your best. <laughs> be like, no bloody way, I'm calling the police. And I'm calling the police right now. Right? I'm not going to love you unconditionally. And, you know, and so we got it. You are loving him. You are loving him unconditionally by saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so anyway, people were scandalized that I said such a thing, um, you know, or if, you know, uh, if, if, you know, if someone came home and was living completely, you know, in contradiction. I don't know if I'm holy enough to say, oh, I love you, honey. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I know that I still have a lot to grow. Uh, I still have a lot to grow. Um, it probably depends on the relationship, each individual relationship and how you, how you dialogue and, or, or don't dialogue. And, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. No, no, for sure. So are there any more um, just comments on the document itself, um, Nora? Um, I think we're pretty much, well, it, you know, we've already talked about um, the lawful methods, right? The lawful methods, what they call lawful. I always think this generation has a hard time with the word lawful. There was a time when people saw their teachings of the church as laws and that was okay. Now we <clears throat> we don't like anybody telling us what to do anymore. So not even um, wearing masks. You know. <laughs> yeah, but that I, that song. Um, I love that song that goes. Um, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, reviving the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. I mean, that the laws of the church are like honey to us if we understand that they're for our good. So, so, um, uh, 
So, okay, so. I think um, we pretty much covered it, Dorothy, yeah. We pretty much covered it. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I'm, I'm wanna go to thank everybody for joining us today. If you have any questions, please post them in the chat so that Nora could answer them. And um, just as a way of, you know, saying hello and goodbye, we're going to ask Nora to sing her song again. Hello. All right. <laughs> uh, I'll just go through the refrain so you can learn the refrain if you don't already know it and um, sing it with me when the time comes. Okay. So the refrain is. just one last question um, I know that I've spoken to my spiritual director many times about a lot of these different issues and one thing that he said that always kind of sticks in my mind is that uh, you know the, the marital act um, is both procreative and unitive both procreative and unitive can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I don't know how I missed it. <laughs> I, I, don't, um, I think maybe because more of the issue in this era is the, is the procreative, right? Um, uh, the unitive is that, um, you know, as I mentioned, a husband and wife give, give themselves to, to one another physically, um, and it has a meaning. Um, but also it, it, it has a meaning and we talked about that, like the theology of the body and, the, you know, the, the renewal of the marriage vows is what it really means. But, um, it unites the couple in, uh, this, this deep act that, um, gives them the, the unity to go about their lives and support one another and feel loving towards one another, um, and have a common goal and, I, I think that it's it's um, it's very very helpful in marriage because there's so many and family life there's always so many difficulties and so many challenges that arise and for the couple to experience this unity um, you know hopefully on a regular basis um, or maybe not depending on the couple but um, it it just unites them in a way that really gives. Uh, 
gives them an understanding of one another in this deep level that we can't even like it's so deep that you can't even really talk about it almost and uh, like i know that in the you know kind of very old days um you know you'd kind of hear um women you know like sort of the teaching that you know like you can't deny your husband that you need to give of yourself and that the husband can't deny the wife right and that what happens when there is a denial of that gift to the other um i don't know if you have any thoughts on that or maybe if that exceeds the scope of this you know um i think that that um I think it was a simple way of the church explaining it in an era when people were simpler. simpler. Um, but now we have more of an understanding of psychology and an understanding of relationship. And so for uh, if a woman is, is sick, uh, she should be able to explain to her husband that she's sick and in his love for her, he should be able to say, okay, we'll, we'll wait, you know, um, <laughs> right? Um, so I think just a, a relationship itself, there's dialogue that, take, that needs to be there and simple love, simple understanding of, you know, another, another person's, yes, there might be a, a great sexual drive, um, but as we mature, that drive needs to, um, needs to be tempered with, with great love and you know we're not perfect we're going to make mistakes we're going to hurt each other like that's all going to happen but as we mature uh i think we should be able to mature a little beyond the you know just simple never deny <laughs> yes, <laughs> you yes. know like yeah if you if you're if you're not dead tired or if you you know it's a normal day i wouldn't deny like i, I wouldn't have denied my husband you know but i would if she, he needed to be sensitive to me as well. So it's, it's this uh, back and forth thing, right? So. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so we could probably go, you know, on and talk about just different things longer, but uh, I think we've, we've covered a lot today. I wanted to thank you for, you know, joining us. I want to thank you for teaching us. I want to thank, thank you for having me and thank you everyone especially those who commented thank you for your comments and everyone who has been here it's been beautiful i'm i'm honored yeah so hopefully we can have you back you're a, a treasure house of oh wait i've got one question here hold on oh no someone's saying just thank you so we're getting a a, a number of thank yous here thank you nora thank you dorothy thank you thank you so we're all thanked out <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask um, each and every one of you tonight if you could please pray. I have a, a Zoom meeting at um, at eight o'clock this evening, and all of our mothers group leaders, I think there's 25 of us registered, are having a Zoom meeting tonight, and uh, I'm nervous about it. And if I know if I if I know that you you pray a rosary for that meeting tonight. Um, that would just mean the world to me. Uh, so please do pray for us uh, as we move forward in our ministry. I also would like to ask you on your calendars to mark September the 12th. September the 12th, it's a Saturday. We have a very, very special event coming up. I can't break loose the details to you before I break the news to my mother's group leaders tonight, uh, but I promise you it's going to be good. We have something to look forward to. So um, I'm going to put out a dare. I dare you to download and read the document Humane Vitae. I dare you to go to the Sacrament of uh, Reconciliation. And I dare you to say yes to your husband the next time he asks you whether you feel like it or not. <laughs> oh, anyway, I, I don't know. Dare you to have another child, okay? Um, anyway, I love you all. Um, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Nora. I'm going to uh, end the meeting uh, just with... Uh,
maybe a closing prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for every single person that registered. We beg for an outpouring and anointing of the Holy Spirit as they go on and they move throughout their day. I lift up Nora in Thanksgiving. Uh, she's such an amazing friend, such an amazing witness to what it means to be another Christ. I thank you for her joy, her openness, and whatever I ask her to do, she always says yes. So I thank you, dear Lord, for her yes. And I just ask our Blessed Mother to wrap her loving arms around Nora, around all of us. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And pray for my meeting tonight with my mother's group leaders, okay? So we can uh, grow the ministry. Love you all. Take care. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye now.